Well, how are we doing? <laughs> All right. You know, uh, we're a week away from Christmas. Can you believe that? Which means we're only a couple weeks away from a, another year on the calendar. Man. Well, I've got a... Um, Got a quick little uh, game for you here. Nobody's going to win, I'll just tell you that. But uh, It's not that kind of game, but more just a little fun exercise here. Play a little Would You Rather. You ever played Would You Rather? Sometimes that can get out of hand. Hopefully that won't get out of hand here. But uh, For starters, would you rather have a dog that hated you or a cat that hated you? cat. I don't know, cats can do some pretty, like they have these ways of getting you back where you didn't know it was coming. Um, Would you rather see everything upside down or have everything smell like rotten fish? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Pick your poison, huh? Uh, Would you rather have to eat everything with peanut butter on it or everything with ketchup on it? Okay. Would you rather have three legs or three arms? If you're prone to falling, you might go with the legs thing, but... Fun fact, I used to have a dog with three legs. And when people would make fun of them, I would say, how would you like to have three legs? So, um, would you rather know everything and do nothing well, or know nothing and do everything well? All right, so... Would you rather have $50,000 today or a million dollars in 10 years but nothing today? Depends on your situation, maybe. Would you rather, last one here, perhaps a little more sobering, would you rather feel like you're doing a really great job in a religion that will never save you or be humbled and feel like an undeserving sinner but be saved for eternity. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? But that's the question that we really are all faced with and it's the question that ultimately gets posed by the book of Hebrews. As Hebrews lays out the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant where there's a religious system put in place that ultimately could never take away the sin of any of us. It could never purify us at the soul level before a holy and righteous God. Under the Old Covenant. And then under the New Covenant, God having sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our sacrifice for us, 
whereby we can be purified completely through and through by his sacrifice. And the question posed in Hebrews is, would you rather? Would you rather be under an old covenant system that you feel really comfortable with, that makes you feel really good about how great you're doing at at keeping up appearances and and checking off boxes, Uh, or would you rather humbly recognize that you are a a, a um, hopeless sinner before a holy and righteous God, and yet God would save you himself. As we go through Hebrews, um, we're into a section here in Hebrews chapter 9 where where Hebrews is really making a, a stark contrast between the Old Covenant, which really ultimately was uh, made up of temporal things that were, it calls it, shadows of the heavenly things. So the construction of the temple, the sacrifices, animal sacrifices, uh, the many, many various um, uh, things that were were constructed and placed in the temple, um, that all of these things were shadows of the heavenly things. The the earthly high priest was a shadow of a heavenly high priest. The earthly tabernacle was a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. Um, And so it, it really becomes a contrast between something that is temporal and something that is eternal in fact um, the book of Hebrews actually uses the word eternal six times um, which is um, it's there there are three other or two other books that mention uh, use the word eternal six times there's one book that uses it uh, quite a bit more than any others, and that's John's Gospel. He uses it seven times. Uh, so between John's Gospel and, and John's epistle, 1 John, uh, he uses the word eternal. Um, let me do, do my math real quick. If I have my math right, 23 times. And every single time it's in the context of eternal life. Not surprising if, you, if, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John. And, um, but every time, it's in the context of eternal life. Uh, Romans uses the word eternal six times. And most of the time, it's in the context of eternal life. But also gives a reference to God's eternal power and God eternal. The book of Hebrews um, uses the word eternal six times. And um, one time, it's with, in regards to salvation, eternal salvation. Another time, eternal judgment. Another time, eternal redemption. Another time, the eternal spirit. Next time, eternal inheritance. And lastly, the eternal covenant. And as uh, what strikes me about the usage of eternal in Hebrews is that uh, it almost lays out the gospel message just in the way it uses uh, the word eternal. And, um, and really, uh, 
the, the book of Hebrews, while it still is about eternal life, as are Romans and, and John's gospel and John's epistle, um, it presents it in a little bit different way than, than either John or, uh, or Romans does by contrasting the old system with the new system, the old covenant with the new covenant, the old sacrifices with the new sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And um, actually, three of the usage reasons I bring this up is three of the usages of eternal in, in the book of Hebrews happen right here in chapter 9, where we're at. In fact, we, um, we deal with um, a, a couple of them in this very passage. Um, and uh, so we're going to, actually all three of them are just right here um, within, a, within a few verses of each other. And so it's as if it drives home, I think, the, that if we are going to try and work under the old covenant system, which was about, um, which was about keeping all the rules and, and doing everything at the right time and being at the right place at the right time, um, that we're pursuing something that is of temporary nature, that is insufficient that falls short. But what God has brought to us through Jesus Christ is all sufficient, it is complete, and it is eternal in nature. In fact, it reminds me, as we, uh, before we read our passage here, it reminds me of uh, something that Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Um, He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ came that we would not just uh, have a polished up... um, more satisfying uh, existence in this body until we die, but rather to give us abundant life, which begins now and carries on for eternity. Where we taste of it now, in the here and now, this side of heaven, but we experience it more fully after we die and go to be received by our Lord Let's turn to our our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. I just want to ask the Lord to to lead us here. Father, we thank you for, for um, for, for just watching over us, for shepherding us, for caring for us as, as your children, for so loving us even while we were enemies of you, that you would send your Son for us. And as we open your word today, Lord, we ask that you would give us your wisdom and understanding, that you would open our eyes to the, the realities of heaven and to the realities of, of your salvation and your great love for us. And... Um, 
Lord, and to the reality that what you have offered us is so superior to what this world ever could. So lead us into all truth to give us your understanding by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 9, start in verse 13. So actually, if you were to back up in, uh, in verse 12, there's one of the first usages, in, in, that's the first usage in chapter 9 of eternal, securing an eternal redemption by the blood of Christ. Um, verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And we talked about, uh, we focused on this passage last week, but the, uh, the, the question being posed here um, is uh, rhetorical, and that is, um, if the sacrifices of 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 animals earthly temporal animals the sacrifices of these animals was sufficient to to purify the outside of the sinner before a holy and righteous god how much more sufficient will be the blood of christ himself the son of god to purify be sufficient to purify the whole sinner before a holy and righteous god And so that's the, that's the rhetorical question that, that gets presented to us. And, and um, what I believe kind of drives that home as, as Christ's sacrifice being so far superior to the, to the blood of, of animals and, 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 and even more sufficient to purify the whole sinner than the blood of animals was sufficient to purify the exterior of the sinner if that, if that could be stated that way. And that is that it says that, recall that these sacrifices of, of animals, they gave a temporary purification of the outside, and it was performed by a finite, temporary, corrupted human being. And contrast that with the sacrifice of the Son of God, who gives an eternal, complete, purification of the whole person through if we look there um, in verse uh, 13 or 14 who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God so we're not talking about a temporary corrupted human being offering a temporary insufficient sacrifice but we're talking about the very son of God offering Himself, along with, through the eternal spirit. And so we have an eternal high priest sacrificing himself for us. Because of that, then, that's why verse 15 then starts the way it does. Therefore. So because we have this this contrast between what, it, what we used to have offered to us as a, as a means of, of uh, um, uh, salvation, which fell, fell short, 
Um, we have now a sufficient, a sufficient salvation offered to us in Christ. As we, so therefore, now Christ being far superior to that old system, His blood being far superior to purify the sinner, and, and through His sacrifice that sinners are offered an eternal redemption, an eternal salvation, an eternal life and belonging to God. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant. This is something new. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So there is something new being offered to us. And of course, when I asked you, would you rather, would you rather feel really good about participating in a religion that you felt really good about it, felt really good about yourself, like you're doing a great job, but in the end would not save you, in the end would have no eternal reward, or feel, frankly, at times kind of miserable about who you are because you recognize how far you fall short before God, but then be rescued by God's grace for eternity. Well, it is an obvious answer when we compare the eternal reward with that, the, the humility that we suffer to gain that eternal reward is so small, really, and so necessary. For until we recognize our need for Christ, until we recognize how desperately we need His forgiveness, um, we really are in a religion that will not save us. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Consider what God has offered to you. Now, the world, um, the world makes many promises to us. Promises that it ultimately fails to follow through on. Uh, promises of rewards this side of the grave. Promises of, of satisfaction of all kinds. Um, promises of fulfillment. Um, promises of security. Um, promises of joy. Promises of peace. My goodness. My whole life, I've been hearing about the latest, greatest peace treaty in the Middle East. I'm starting to get a little cynical about it. Um, this is how the world is. It will always offer, it will always oversell and underdeliver. Always. Would you rather... Buy a car from a guy who oversold and underdelivered, or undersold and overdelivered. Easy, right? That's kind of the situation we have before us. We have the world offering us things that it will never follow through with. It will. The world is always overselling and underdelivering in the end. And yet, there's a real way in which, while God is, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say God undersells and overdelivers, 
um, because his promises are sure and true. We just haven't grasped it yet. But there's a way in which uh, our eternal reward is undersold and overdelivered because we can't even fathom how incredible it is going to be. God has offered us an an eternal inheritance that is incomparable with any inheritance that we could ever possibly receive otherwise. Um, You think about inheritances, uh, and uh, there are a a lot of very wealthy families through the ages that left some pretty uh, incomparably large inheritances for their descendants. Um, would you rather have that, or would you rather have the eternal inheritance that God offers you? Would you rather live like, like a pauper this side of heaven and a king the other side of heaven, or vice versa? Well, not even a pauper, but suffer his judgment for eternity. Um, If those are our choices, for me, it's quite easy. God has offered us an inheritance that just can't be compared with anything. There are no apples-to-apples comparison with what God has promised to us. And it says that those who are called will receive that. There's an interesting thing that Scripture presents to us, um, and it's uh, there. There, there are really um, is a matter of perspective of whether we view it from a human perspective or a heavenly perspective, and it has to do with this usage here of called, which is um, that God sovereignly chooses. And um, there's this really interesting thing to, to contemplate. And, and uh, boy, if, uh, you know, when you get some um, Bible students together, um, you can end up with some great arguments about it. But in the end, it just comes down to what is the truth. And the truth is this. John 6, verse 44 Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God must draw us into salvation. God must call us into salvation. We cannot muster in ourselves to step into eternal life by our own will. It's precisely because uh, we are dead spiritually and we talked about that last week that spiritually the spiritually dead cannot spiritually make themselves alive and so god must take us from uh sinner to saint god must take us from those who are preparing to suffer his wrath and judgment into those who belong to him as his children That happens as a work of God. So then we go, well, then if if only those who are called by God receive this reward, receive this inheritance, receive eternal life, then, I mean, what's the point? 
God chooses some and doesn't choose others, and that's just the way it is, right? Well, let's look at another verse, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The scriptures present both of these truths to us. And uh, we can wrangle with them all we want, but in the end, it boils down to this. We will not receive eternal salvation, eternal life, unless God brings us to that. Unless he calls us into that. And the other thing is simultaneously, simultaneously true. We will not receive eternal life unless we choose to believe in him and submit to him. Those things are simultaneously true. Scripture presents both truths to us. One, that God chooses and that we choose to place our faith in Him and believe in Him. And so, I'll just say, from a heavenly perspective, I really don't understand how all that works. Um, I just know that God says that He chooses some people to be saved and that there are some who aren't. I don't know divinely how that all works out. I just know that he says it does. So I take that one by faith for sure. But I also know this truth, and this is the one that I really have to wrangle with the most, and that is, scriptures say, unless I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Savior and Lord, I will not receive the eternal life that he offers to me. I will not receive forgiveness of sin unless that happens. And that's the one that I have to really wrangle with. The other one is more philosophical for me at this point um, because I don't understand how, it's all, how it works out on God's side of things. I just know it does. But this one has some really practical implications for me. Because what I choose to believe or not believe about Christ affects my eternity. Whether or not I choose to receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ that's been offered to me, the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins and eternal life, or whether I reject that in favor of anything else, that one has eternal consequences. And so those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Since a death, what death? The death of Christ. The death of the Son of God. It says that the death of the Son of God has redeemed us from the sins that we committed. Redeem means to, uh, to liberate or to release. Think of uh, um, someone held captive. Um, that one is released from that captivity. But released by having a ransom paid. 
what scriptures tell us is that we are held captive as sinners. We are held captive to sin and death, and we can't break free from it. There is no way of escape. Um, We are hopelessly and desperately trapped. And God has done something miraculous to rescue us in the form of making payment for us that was sufficient to bring us out of that captivity. And that form of payment was his son. That God so loved us that he sent his son. As Randy was sharing with us, that God sent his very own son into enemy territory to rescue those who were enemies of God. That's what Romans tells us. That while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Look at John chapter 3. Verse 14, Jesus uh, said something very interesting. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus himself said is, unless the Son of God is crucified for sinners, and that may not be uh, uber clear to you right now, but uh, you can take my word for it here and then you can go do some digging um, to learn a little bit about what he's talking about when he says Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That kind of goes back to something in Exodus there. But what Jesus is essentially saying is that unless the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, is crucified for sinners, there is no eternal life. But God, because he so loves sinners, sent his Son into the world full of sinners to be crucified on their behalf so that all those who believe in him would receive eternal life. We looked last week at Ephesians chapter 2 when it says that we're saved by God's grace through faith in him. We're not saved as a result of anything that we've done. So we have nothing to boast about. but we have everything to be joyful about. That God would rescue us. You know, we love, uh, we love a, good, a good story, a good book, or a good movie, about, especially about uh, those who are, are trapped in some form, whether it's, uh, whether it's in their own head or in reality uh, or in a circumstance where they're trapped and someone comes in and sets them free from that. And we love that kind of a story. It's, we love that kind of a story because it taps into something that is so deep within us that craves that very thing on a much greater level. It is the story of God who came to rescue sinners from heaven to earth to rescue sinners, to restore us to him even while we had turned our backs on him. 
My question for you today is, you know, God offers this promise to everyone. Every single one of us. Uh, and I, I, it helps me to think, um, I don't know, I just, I just think about, I guess, earthly stuff because that's where I live. That's my address right now. Um, it helps me to kind of put some things into perspective. And I think, you know, you may, be, you, you may do a really great job at, uh, I don't know, checking off all the Christian boxes, right? Um, you've got the, the t-shirt, you've got the music, you've got the devotional Bible, you've got the, I mean, you go down the list, you've got it, man. And you, you do all the right stuff. Um, and then there's somebody over here that does none of that right. Do you know that we're both still as far away from heaven as the other one? Uh, I think of it this way. Like, imagine we all go and we, we go to somewhere, somewhere in California and we're standing on the coast looking over the water and we're all going to have a swimming contest to see who can get across the Pacific first. First one across wins. Right? We all know that's a ridiculous race because we're all going to lose whether one of us drowns 20 miles out or one of us drowns 20 feet in. We're all not going to, none of us are going to make it. Such is the kingdom of heaven for sinners. None of us will ever make it into the kingdom of God unless God brings us. And that is exactly what God has done in offering His Son for us. And this time of year as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we do so because we recognize that unless this baby is born, unless unless, uh, the Virgin Mary gives birth to the very Son of God, unless this baby is laid in a, in a manger in a little no-name town by a no-name couple, um, unless that happens, no one has the hope of eternal life. But because that has happened, everyone may have the hope of eternal life if they believe in Him. And my question to you today is, have you? Have you believed in Him? God sent His Son to rescue you. Have you taken hold of that gift and treasured it in your heart as it says Mary treasured all these things about the Son of God? Have, do you hold on to that tightly? Do you recognize that you fall so far short from the kingdom of heaven that you can never make it no matter how hard you try unless God brings you in Himself? And do you recognize that God has indeed done that if you believe in Jesus His Son? That gift is offered to you today to receive it by faith, to tell God, I want to take hold of this gift of eternal life. Please forgive me for rejecting you in my heart. Please forgive me for for all the ways that I've offended you. Make me clean by the blood of Christ. 
and make me a child of God. And if you talk to God in such a way from the depths of your heart, God promises that not only will he forgive you of your sins, he will also make you a child of God forever. And he has also promised that he will now live with you forever. That he will give you the Holy Spirit to be with you always Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We treasure this gift that you have offered to us. And Lord, if there be some here today who have been wrestling with this in their heart, who have been perhaps um, uh, slow to come to you, who have not been too sure that they want to go all in with you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day where they, they... throw themselves on their knees before You and ask You to make them clean through and through. To purify them from all of of the sinfulness of their own heart and to make them clean with the blood of Christ. To make them new, a child of God. And we pray this as we give thanks to You for for how you have given us an eternal hope here, Lord, and the hope of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 9 says that we, through Christ, will receive an eternal inheritance. And as if, uh, as if the under the inspiration of God, the author of Hebrews doesn't want anyone to forget what they just read. At the very end, he closes with this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.